Hi, it's Jamie Shokum, host of Web Comics Reviews and Interviews. And tonight, we're looking at the top 10 worst art mistakes you can make in web comics. So sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. One of the basic truisms when it comes to web comics is that art drags people in, writing keeps them there. The only problem is that occasionally you'll have a web comic that will have some great writing, while the art sucks. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. It's just, for whatever reason, the art needs a little bit of a punch-up. Your two basic cases are either an amateur who's self-taught and rather than trying to advance the art past a certain point, tends to go, hey, I can get away with this, so I'm going to get away with it as much as I possibly can. This is usually an ultra-simplistic style, and while it tends to sound really good on paper, the execution just doesn't work. On the flip side, you've also got a professional with lots of experience who either is not really confident in what they're doing, or has basically shouldn't be doing comics in the first place. You know, they, they're doing the art, but it's just more of a I'm not really into it type of thing. And so the artwork over time will tend to fall really flat really quick. So, well, you know, obviously if you've got somebody who's not really into learning new techniques and all that, this is not going to help you. But if you're trying to figure out ways to make your webcomic look a little bit better, we can definitely help. With that in mind, 10. Everybody looks the same. This is actually one of the more common mistakes in web comics. You just basically have somebody trying to do ultra simple on stuff and doesn't realize how people's brains work. Plus, they're also end up handicapping the writer. I mean, you guys sort of keep in mind that when people are reading a webcomic, they're still being a visual person. I mean, they may love the story and all the various plot and character development, but they need to basically have some way of telling character A and character B apart. And if it comes down to it, there's only minor differences in how they're dressed and colored. Yeah, that's really just going to end up confusing a reader, especially more of a casual one. You know, the guy who pops in doesn't really read it that ser- seriously, but loves the comic anyway. Plus, on top of that, you're going to get the long-time readers who are going to have some interesting disputes in the discussion boards when it comes to who did what, because while well, the two characters look way too similar. So, on top of that, this is going to handicap the writer as well because, well, there's a lot of really great plot twists that depend on the appearance of two different characters. You know, specifically the the difference between the two of them being drawn or just little character tips as far as the visuals go. Even something as simple as, say, you know, one of them has... the part on the different side of the hair to make a huge difference. So obviously you want to figure out ways to make the characters look at least a little bit different. You know, enough to differentiate on a quick glance. The easiest way to get around this is to, when you're designing the characters, throw a silhouette test at them. You, you know, making a silhouette isn't really all that complicated. You take the picture of the character, make sure everybody's on the same pose, Put a magic lasso around them, fill in the la- fill in the section you've highlighted, and then compare. 
you know, it's not really all that complicated. And like you said, it really helps to show which characters are going to visually look the same, even if you do so slightly different things on them. So keep that in mind when you're trying to first set up the webcomic. Always throw a silhouette test at new characters, and then compare them to silhouettes of other more established characters or even side characters. You have no idea how much confusion this is going to prevent in the long run, and like I said, it's going to help the writer by allowing the writer a couple more tools to play around with. Ways to give characters different body shapes are, well, first off, the simplest way is to just simply vary the height. This isn't going to work if you're doing a three-dimensional type of comic where you're actually dealing with the depth of the panels. You know, if you constantly have characters going into and out of the same frame, you know, uh, they're either stepping back, stepping forward, you see people from a distance, that sort of thing. Changing the height isn't really going to help all that much. This is more of a gag comic type of thing. You know, if you've got the same char- same characters always in the same plane, changing the heights is actually not a bad way to start. Um, using different clothes. This is also going to be applying to different hairstyles and other options as well, as far as the straight visual stuff goes. Um, I'm not so much looking at skin color, even though that's cool. I'm looking at hairstyles. You know, wavy, afro, straight, long, short, military style, what have you. Um, we emphasize real quick that, you know, something to consider is that even in the military there are a couple of different hairstyles available. And having two characters with vastly different, or even slightly different hairstyles is going to create a definite visual reference for people actually reading it. Um, the same is, of course, is going to apply to what they wear. Just make sure that the two, what two people wear are entirely different, you know. Even if you just think that changing the color schemes between two characters is going to work, trust me, it's not going to work. All you're going to do is create a situation where some people think that, you know, character A is just a differently dressed version of character B. So, I mean, if there's some reason for having the characters being reasonably identical, obviously there's going to be some really good ideas for it. But you want the hairstyles and the fashion sense with two people to be entirely different, if at all possible. Um, different body shapes is another way. Obviously, those of us doing science fiction or funny animal comics have a major advantage here because we can throw all sorts of aliens at it. And, you know, that's going to be a major way to change the body shape, as well as, you know, sheep versus cow versus chicken. You know, it's going to be really hard to confuse the characters in that situation. But, even if you're not doing a sci-fi, having characters be thinner and taller versus shorter and fatter, or, you know, pretty much any extreme in between, is going to be a great way to differentiate your characters as well. Um... You know, muscular versus pudgy. I mean, keep in mind, if you're looking at a muscular versus a pudgy person, or versus, say, an average person, the shape of the torso is a major change. An athletic person will have a V-shaped torso. That is, the shoulders will be wider than the waist. A slightly fatter person, that's going to be reversed. That is, the shoulders are going to be thinner than the waist. 
and an average person, you know, office person, etc., is going to be pretty much straight up and down. Relatively subtle, but it's definitely a way to tell two different characters apart. And since you're looking to make him look different, you know, again, if there's a legitimate reason to have the characters look the same, like you're trying to make a point about military clones or something, you know, obviously you can ignore this advice to a certain degree. But, especially if you're doing a more simplistic uh, comic, you're going to want to watch out for making sure that, um, you know, you just want to make sure the characters look different. Again, people are visual, so that's something you definitely need to consider. Boring backgrounds. Okay, first off, the obvious caveat here. If you're doing a gag panel of some sort where you need the backgrounds to be boring, go for it. A lot of office comics, for example, only have two or three real sets. The boardroom, the secretary's desk, and some other third set, you know, you can get away with relatively simplistic backgrounds in that situation. Um, but don't really count on it. I mean, if you can get away with, if you try that as part of your art style and it works for the comic, go for it. But you want to try to vary that up at least a little bit, you know. You've got two different caverns, you don't want them to look like, you know, different set. Or sorry, that you're using basically the same set for those two different caverns. It just isn't going to work off that well. I mean, you guys sort of keep in mind that the setting of a person will help define to a certain degree that person's personality. Or at least demonstrate that person's personality. Having a boring set says a lot, a lot about that person. The person has no imagination. The person is boring. The person is more passive than anything else and has no actual interest. In other words, you have a one-dimensional character who's not really going to last long in the comic. And if your comic is nothing but one-dimensional characters, you know, that's really not going to help longevity of your webcomic. I mean, even when you start looking at, um, you know, some of the basic gag comics or four panels that are present in newspapers, you still see a certain degree of change or, you know, different types of different sets. Um, peanuts, they have the wall, they have the tree, they have the doghouse, they have the houses. Each one of the houses, of course, has a different decor. Um, even Garfield, you can see details in the kitchen or in the living room, you know. And when it comes down to it, the only real comic that doesn't have any kind of background when it comes down to it is something like Dilbert. And let's get real, Dilbert needs that blandness to basically set up a lot of their jokes. So, especially if you're doing a Talking Heads cartoon, you're going to want to have some sort of decent background. Um, another mistake is that you have way too much flat color. Just shading things up a little bit can help immensely. I mean, if nothing else, look at the way your actual rooms are set up. You know, even if you've got a room that has the same color on all four walls, you know, you're always going to have that one wall that's a little bit dark because of the sunlight. One that's going to obviously be a little bit lighter again because of the sunlight. 
And if you have any kind of light source going on, that light source will also cast shadows. You know, you're going to have some definite color just in the way the light works. So obviously, you know, allowing for lighting will help to make your set a little bit more interesting. Um, you know, if you need to use Photoshop to create your backgrounds and have a little bit of fun with the compo composing them. You know, if I'm doing, if I'm not constantly seeing character A and character B in their own panel and they're conversing, then yeah, I want to have character A have his own background and I want to have character B have his own background. And as long as they're consistent for that conversation, you're good to go. Um, you're also going to be wanting to use certain elements to break up your backgrounds, you know. Even Dilbert has the water cooler or the screen, you know, little things. Um, you can even throw in posters. Uh, look at South Park, for example. They almost always have something silly going on in the background as far as the posters go. Again, you don't want to have ultra-boring backgrounds consistently. Every so often, fine. You know, let's get real. In real life, we have a lot of rooms that are boring. But if we're talking a room where the person spends a lot of time in, over time that room is going to take on certain aspects of the character's personality. And those need to be expressed in the background. So, try to avoid boring backgrounds. At least throw a splash of color or shading or something. You know, throw a little bit of interest into the backgrounds. Eight, bad perspective. <laughs> I'm known to throw this caveat around a lot. So, you know, sorry about that. Obviously, if you're doing things that are in the same plane, like a really simple four-panel gag comic, you can avoid the perspective issue. What we're sort of looking at here is that in a good comic, you constantly see characters shifting where they are relative to the other. You know, person might take a step into the background to grab something, might take a step into the foreground. You know, a little different thing on perspective. Even if you have, say, a table there, that table's going to have a certain three-dimensional shape to it. I mean, we're people. We're going to throw in those little basic drawing things. So, obviously, if you can throw some third dimension into it, go for it. What this is usually going to be are small flat objects in the background, like posters, wall outlets, um, some fully formed objects like lamps, desk, table, that sort of thing in the background, even tchotchkes. You know, those annoying little things that everybody tends to collect over a lifetime. And, of course, you want to put some small objects in the front. You know, if we're dealing with an office... We're, you know, just look at all this different stuff you see on a desktop. You know, you've got home decorations, you've got paperclip bowls, you know, just little things. The key here is that even if the characters themselves are literally two-dimensional, you can have some fun with three-dimensional just by throwing objects in the background and in the foreground. Um, another simple trick is if every so often you show the people full figure from head to toe, just have their feet on different levels in the thing. You know, have one person standing relatively close and you can actually see the feet there. 
and another person with feet in the background. Heck, even showing some person from the waist up in the foreground and another person full figure in the background can work wonders for your comic. Um, this is going to be a weird one, but you're going to want to avoid forced perspective. You know those annoying pictures you have where people are at the tower, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and they act like they're lifting the feet, you know, trying to keep the thing from leaning or pushing it over, even though they're like, you know, easily a couple hundred feet away from the tower. Yeah, that's your basic example of forced perspective. You're essentially making two things fit into a situation, even though they shouldn't. Whereas that can work, don't get me wrong, generally when you when you have total control over what's actually being shown and you can actually draw things different sizes, that sort of thing, force perspective as a tool tends to fall flat. I mean, it's a really great tool to use every so often, but it's just something that's one of those things that, while it's clever in some areas, drawing just doesn't work out too well. So... I mean, if you can pull it off and get away with it, great, but realize that if you're trying to use forced perspective to demonstrate perspective in the comic itself, it's just not going to work as great as you think it will. Seven, bed composition. This is just one of those things that I need to be noted, but it's just... This is where you start seeing the amateur professionalism thing. I mean, really hardcore. An amateur basically doesn't really care about the composition. They just want to get things on the paper. And it shows. You know? I hate going using a cooking example here. But, you know, if you've watched something like, say, Chopped or Beat Bobby Flay. You know, it's a really cool cooking competition where they have a little bit of fun with it. And you can tell the different, you know, you can have two people do virtually the same meal. But one of them looks a lot better than the other. That's composition here. An amateur, like you said, doesn't really care and will just simply throw things on the paper just because he feels they need to be put there. Because of this, you get some really bad composition errors, you know? Um, one thing you should have is, for example, the person who starts off the conversation should be on the left and the person who's responding should be on the right. Obviously, if we're done with manga, switch that. But, you know... Or you'll have stuff in the direct center of the thing. That's where almost all the stuff goes. Or you'll have stuff on the extreme edges. Again, that's just really bad composition. And on the flip side, you'll have the professional who's getting really bored of doing the basic composition and all of a sudden tries doing weird stuff to see if he can pull it off. Clean on something. Don't. There are people who can pull it off. Um, you know, my personal favorite person to make fun of a lot is Johan Vasquez of Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, who has way too much fun with composition, among other things, and he can pull it off. But that's because he, a, he's fully aware of what the rules are, and he's actually taking advantage of those rules to do some interesting stuff. Unless you're somebody who knows exactly what they're doing, don't. Especially if you're just learning. Otherwise, you're going to create some really big messes.
So, you know, this is sort of what I'm pointing out that first off, if you're going to have people talking, have the person who talks first be on the left, and then as people respond, have them set up accordingly. Obviously, you're going to have a little bit of movement here and there, but as long as you can set that up in the first panel or two, you're good to go. Um, keep in mind that people do move. You know, one of the composition errors that drives people crazy is you've got two people that are doing nothing but talking heads. While that can work, and, you, and there's a lot of comics that draw on it, um, you know, every so often, just have somebody move, you know, T-step into the background and grab something, like a phone. Um, have the other person move a little bit to, off to the side. You know, some sort of dynamic aspect to it. Obviously, if you're doing a superhero comic or something that's high action, that'll be taken care of. But, you know, even if you're basically doing nothing but, you know, making the camera go closer or further, just have some sort of movement. Um, definitely keep in mind the dreaded rule of thirds. You know, basically just draw a tic-tac-toe board grid and have everything where the lines intersect, that's where you want your action. You want to try to avoid the middle of the big other square areas. The rule of thirds is a really great tool to use, especially if you're just learning. Later on, you can have a little bit of fun with it, but for now... Figure out what the rule of thirds is and definitely learn to draw with it. And last but not least, keep in mind clarity above all. The reason you're doing the composition is because you want to basically make sure that everybody sees what's going on and there's no major confusion. So, when you are drawing, don't put too many objects of the same tone and that in the same area. You know, break it up. Again, going back to the food example, you don't want the same texture to be throughout the entire food. You want to be, you know, that's why people do the crunchy outside and the soft center. It just works really well with the food. You don't have it crunchy and soft throughout the whole thing. You know, you see that get knocked all the time. So, in this case, you're looking at stuff that has the same tonal. You know, yeah, it might be red and they might be blue, but if you shifted it to gray, they'd be about the same. That's the kind of stuff you want to avoid. Uh, at the same time, try to avoid too much clutter. It's great to have a little bit of background stuff. Cool. Um, but don't put in like 57 objects in a small panel. It just isn't going to work and it's going to muddy things up ridiculously. So be nice to your readers. They'll be nice to you. Six, good old-fashioned nudity. <laughs> this is going to be a weird one. Here's the deal. Yeah, you don't want to be afraid of nudity, and it can work really great even in a kid's cartoon. I mean, you've had Calvin. Okay, well, obviously Calvin and Hobbes isn't strictly a kid's cartoon, but you've nonetheless had, you know, Calvin's, go, you know, coming out of the shower, coming out of the bath, even have one of his uh, matter tr transportation accidents, and so he's walking around naked. That's fine. If you have a little bit of nudity every so often and it builds character, go for it. However, 
What you want to try to avoid is gratuitous nudity. If the only reason you're pairing, you're going to have a pair of boobs out there, just is just for the sake of well having a pair of boobs. You know, that's a waste of really great graphics. Have those have them mean something. Work it into the overall theme of the piece. Don't just simply put it out there. If you make a point about nudity, great. Um, some people bear themselves a little too much. Another great example. You know, even with Power Girl. And yeah, it's actually it's called the boob window. That works because it's showing something about the character. I mean, she was basically set up to make fun of, you know, some aspects of superhero anatomy. So it works. But at the same time, don't put it in just for the sake of shock value. Once in a while, it'll work. Generally speaking... However, if you do, um, you know, first off, there are some really great ways to censor it. And I'm not just talking about the big black panel with the censor written across it. Um, you know, Austin Powers had the most beautiful example of this, and it will always be the best example ever. You know, where they basically have, um, Austin Powers, and I can never remember her name, sorry. But they always have an object or one of the other people in front of the other person. And even though you can tell they're basically naked, you never actually see anything. So, if you do have nudity and you're going to go full bore on it, keep in mind that you have to be consistent on the size. So, yeah, I know. If you're a person stretching, things are going to be a little bit smaller, cold weather's... Obviously, things are going to be a little bit smaller. But in general, you want a consistent size. Keep that in mind, and you'll actually work out pretty well. Like I said, and also, like I said, put it, an actual reason for being there. Because shocking gratuitous nudity is, well, where do I know it's going to sound? Boring. And in all honesty, if all your comic has going for it is the nudity, it's going to get dropped really quick. No matter how gorgeous the nudity is. So, just one of those weird details to keep in mind. Um, this is going to be a fun one. Five, too much detail. Some artists get... Here's where things are going to get... This is one of those weird areas because... Some genres demand a lot of detail. But others tend to go really work well on the simplistic scale. If you're doing a steampunk comic, hey, you're going to want as much detail as you possibly can. If you're into, you know, you're doing really boring conversation and you have some background details going on, hey, cool. Just keep in mind that if you put too much detail, you're going to create a muddy situation. That is, anytime you draw it, it should be with the concept of keeping everything as clear as possible. Clarity should be king. Well, one of them anyway. Um, and if you have too much detail, it's just going to make everything really confusing. So, make sure you've got just enough detail to take care of the, uh, panel. If you find yourself drawing way too much detail and it's actually working for you, increase the size of the panel. Ideally, you don't want to go past more than, you know, six panels a page. But, then again, you are working with an infinite canvas. So you can make these panels as big or as small as you want them to be. 
So if you find yourself using a lot of really great detail and it's working really well for the comic, increase the size of the comic. Yeah, this might create problems when you actually end up deciding to print it off on actual, you know, the dead tree version. But straight up, you've got an infinite canvas. Take advantage of it. Make things as big or as small as you want them to be. It doesn't matter. But on the other hand, if you got way too much detail and it's basically just muddying things up and it's becoming a distraction in and of itself, yeah, you might want to cut back on the details a little bit. Um, along those lines, limit the background jokes. Especially if you're doing a comic that relies on action. If you're doing something that relies on dialogue, you can get away with the, uh, an occasional background joke. But if you're doing something that requires a lot it's new action, the more action you have, the more clarity you need. So, if you're doing like a superhero comic, really debate putting in the background jokes. On the other hand, if you need people to focus in on the conversation, that might be another reason to you know, back off on them as well. Only use background jokes if it like I said, if it works for the care if it works for the comic and it's not too distracting, then go for it. But, you know, lay off the detail as much as possible. Which I know is contradicting a lot of what my mother's saying, but hey, any good set of rules does have basic contradictions. Deal with it. In this case, the idea is clarity. So, you know, figure it out. Then, of course, this is followed up by number four, too many actions. The general rule is one action per panel, period. Um, you've got some artists who decide to throw in, who figure they're doing this really cool, big, massive fight, so they're going to have everybody fighting in every possible panel. Yeah, it's not going to work. Again, it's a clarity issue. And you're going to hear, and if you haven't figured this one out, this is a biggie. Um, a lot of artists tend to screw this one up hardcore. We're not just talking, you know, I basically throw too much in a panel and don't realize that editing it a little bit actually works. So if you're going to have these big monster team versus team battles, you know, obviously I've been establishing a shot where you got the two teams and you can have them each attacking each other once. But you better also keep in mind that this is going to be a big combination panel. If you're dealing normally with six panels, you're going to want to throw at least four panels worth of action into just this one panel. So, you know, just to make it look really cool to start off with, this is your basic flash page. However, each one of these panels after needs to be only one or two people attacking one or two other people. If you have a team up, cool. Um, if you've got Ray Blast going, you know, crossing each other, even if it's like one is in the background, one's in the foreground. Hey, that's cool too. But you want to try to keep it to one action per panel as much as possible. This is, just like I said, this is going to be just a really great clarity thing to keep in mind. Um, there are obvious other exceptions. Uh, if I'm doing a speedster type character, like say the Flash, you know, at that point, hey, um, one of the cool things they did with him is they actually did have him show off multiple actions in the same panel. But, what they did was they took advantage of speed lines. 
and they faded out the other version of the Flash in the same panel. So basically what you ended up having is even though the Flash was doing multiple actions to show off just how fast he was, it was still easy to read. You know, little basic tricks like that. But if you can keep it to one action per panel, trust me, your readers are going to love you. Number three, and yeah, this is a fun one, too much dialogue. The big problem you have here is you've got some writers who are way too much in love with the written word, especially their own. So, what they end up doing is throwing as much dialogue into the panel as absolutely possible. Yeah. Um, most panels can only take so much dialogue and you have to work out that to whatever degree you want that to work out to. Um, the two options you've got are you can either break up the dialogue into different panels, highly advised, especially if you've got in-depth pan- um, dialogue, or make larger panels. Again, infinite canvas, people. You can also move characters around, especially if you've got, you know, one person doing most of the talking, and you want to show reactions and that sort of thing. Um, did I mention using larger panels? But yeah, that's pretty much obvious. The other is editing your freaking dialogue. Straight up. If Shakespeare worked because he had a lot of fun to it, plus plays have a different rules when it comes to dialogue than comics do. Yeah, you want to have dialogue in your comics, but you want, don't want to get to the point where you're actually just reading a novel that happens to have a few extra illustrations in it. I mean, yeah, that's cool too, but that's something entirely different. We're talking, we're, if you want to do that kind of thing, go for it. Um, there's a lot of really great examples. And, you know, at that point, if you make the dialogue interesting enough, you know, basically at that point you're looking at hitting the 8 to 12 range. You know, where they love dialogue, but they also love illustrations. So that might be an option to look at. And no, you don't have to cut down the dialogue as much as you think you do. A lot of people seem to sell kids short. Don't bother. If you like having that ridiculous amount of dialogue with the occasional illustration, then go for it. That's the kind of comic you want to write, no problem. But, for the general case, remember that brevity is the soul of wit. I repeat, brevity, wit, soul. Yeah. So, you want to keep your dialogue as limited as possible. You don't want to go Todd McFarlane on your poor defenseless readers. Yeah, that works out occasionally. But that's also been one of the biggest strikes against Todd McFarlane is the huge amounts of dialogue he puts in his comics. So, just something to keep in mind. You know, have a lot of great dialogue, but keep it brief, keep it to the point. And keep in mind, even with Shakespeare, a lot of his great quips and all that were still relatively short. Yeah, I know, he's got some ridiculously huge speeches out there. Especially if you start looking at, say, Hamlet. But... You know, have some fun with it. But don't have too much fun with it. Um, two, crowd scenes. I can't even know where to begin on this one. 
because there's two different types of crowd scenes you need to be aware of. First is doing huge city blocks where you just simply have way too many buildings, way too small of an area, and while it looks can look really great, generally speaking, you don't want to have too many buildings in the same scene. And this applies to pretty much anything else with a huge number of similar objects. Woods. You know, show a couple of woods here and there. Or, sorry, a couple of trees here and there. You're good to go. Um, literally showing every possible tree at the same time, unless you're doing it from above, it's just going to be murder. You're going to hate drawing it. It's not going to look too great. And, you know that clarity thing I keep bringing up? Yeah, you're going to have a very confused panel. So, try to keep the background clutter to a minimum. The other version of the crowd scene, and of course the more obvious one, is when you have a huge number of characters in the same scene. You know, if you do that every so often, and you allow for it, it's great, you know. You want to show all your super villains at one time? Cool, make it into a splash page and go for it. But if you're going to basically try to convert them down into a regular panel, even on, especially if you're using a 3x4 grid, yeah. That's, yeah. You're going to hate drawing that. Simplify stuff on yourself. If you're going to do a crowd scene, you know, use up more of the space. Combine panels, so on and so forth. You just... You know, if you're going to have a, a huge crowd like 500 people, okay, that's a mistake in and of itself. Uh, try to keep it no more than, say, 20, 30 people. And even then, you're going to start hating yourself unless everybody looks, you know, distinguished. Um, the point here is, you know, just keep your crowd scenes down to a minimum. And if you do draw them, use as much of the page as possible. Again, infinite canvas is going to be your friend. And... Clarity should be your second best. You know, you just have way too many people who draw crowd scenes and they want all this really cool detail in them, but then they don't allow too much room on the page. Keep that in mind. I mean, I know in a lot of comics it really didn't really ever come up because, you know, you've only got like six or seven characters. But trust me, six or seven characters can create a really obnoxious crowd in and of themselves. Especially when you're doing, you're trying to put all six or seven of these people into the same panel. So, you know, crowd scenes can get obnoxious. Keep them to a minimum, make them as big as you possibly can, and try to make sure that you can actually tell the individual characters from each other. So, it pretty much culminates a lot of the other mistakes, but it needs to be pointed out in and of itself. And yes, this applies just as much as it does to a crowd of buildings or a crowd of trees or whatever. You know, if you're going to do a cave, have a couple of columns, a couple of stagmites, a couple of stalactites, hey, you're good to go. Heck, you can put a little pull in there. But don't make it so crowded it's going to just gunk up the, the view. Clarity, again, is your friend. And again, the more detail you have to draw, the more you're going to end up hating it. So keep that in mind as well, you know? You don't want to spend 17 weeks on one page of work unless it's really going to pay off for you. Last but not least, and this is more of a long-term thing, but 
where there's absolutely no real changes in the art. I mean, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, especially when you start looking at a lot of the, you know, really long-term comics like, say, Family Circus or Peanuts, but they can get away with it to a certain degree because they strive on that simplicity. Um, even Family Circus, there's been some small changes of the art over the years, you know. If for no other reason, that, or if nothing else, the mother got a new haircut. Um, there's been some minor fashion changes here and there. Even the degree of detail tends to fluctuate over the years. But again, that's sort of the point of the comments. They're trying to basically make something that's going to be everlasting. They can get away with having pretty much no real change in the art over time. On the flip side, uh, check out Doonesbury. Um, Webcomic-wise, I mean, with Doonesbury, you've, it's gotten really more sophisticated since day one. Even if you look at the White House that shows up every so often. There's been some minor changes in it over the years. Um, Webcomic-wise, Penny Arcade and Sluggy Freelance are probably two of the best examples. Where you've had the guys in Sluggy Freelance actually get more detailed or... There's even been some minor changes over the years. Um, even Bun Bun has changed the way they've done him since the first panel all the way up to the current. Penny Arcade, same basic difference. Yeah, they're the same basic characters, but you know there's been subtle changes. They've got a little bit more advanced, a little bit more shading, um, so on and so forth. Um, even Scott Kurtz's stuff is probably the prime example. They've had some radical changes in characters. Uh, the characters have changed, matured. Uh, even the office background has changed. PvP has definitely matured and not, in a, and not in a bad way. In fact, in a lot of really cool ways. So, just things to keep in mind. You know, obviously you want to keep challenging yourself. You want to try to do different things. See if they work. You know, don't worry about it if it works or not initially. The big point is that you're actually trying stuff every so often. Um, take some classes. Even if you're a professional, ultra-advanced student, those classes may have information that you've never really considered. And this all applies to reading as well as checking stuff out online. If You know, go to a museum every so often. The key here is educate yourself and figure out ways to learn new things and then apply that to the comment. Trust me, the readers will love it. You know, listen to criticism. I mean, you've got way too many people whose egos get in the way. An artist should be listening to criticism, obviously. You're going to be wanting to tell the difference between trolls and constructive. But if you listen more to the constructive than the trolls, you're going to see some really great advances in your art. You're going to have a lot more fun with it. At that point, you're having an actual conversation with your readers. And that interaction in and of itself will help build your readership. It's just, you know, and then have fun with stuff like Inktober. It's just you want to challenge yourself, you want to learn. You don't want to have the same static art from panel one to panel five zillion. You want to see an actual evolution in there. So always keep educating yourself and try to learn new tricks. Um, so, summing up, just so we're clear on this, 
these top ten mistakes I see a lot when it comes to people doing art are everybody looks the same. Um, boring backgrounds. Bad perspective. Composition. Nudity being handled wrong. Uh, too much detail. Too many actions. Too much dialogue. Crowd scenes just aren't working. And no change in the drawing. Try to work those out and figure out how to mutate them over time so that they, these actually work well for you. You don't want to be the same person from page 1 and page 500. You want to actually be better. And if you pay attention to these basic mistakes in webcomic art, they should help you a lot. So keep that in mind, and I'll talk to you later.